Welcome to the Intentional Family Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Schmitz. I'm here with my husband and co-host, Mike. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to talk again today about this awesome topic, about being permanently curious. But first, I'd like to thank my hardworking husband, because (laughs) without him, there's no way we'd be still doing this at episode 36. He makes it happen. I make the notes and show up to record, but he does it from there. And we have some extra help as well. (laughs) (laughs) We do. It's kind of funny because whenever I tell people about intentional family, I say that it's basically you who does the work. I show up and record and then just edit and publish. But creating the content is the what I consider to be the hard part. The help that we have for people who are have been listening to this for a while, the last two episodes, so this one and then the previous one, have been edited by our 13-year-old son, Toby. Yeah. So hopefully I've done a good job teaching him how to edit a podcast and you had no idea that someone different had edited episode 35. (laughs) This is interesting because he has expressed interest when he turns 14 in a few months to get a job, which is great. We want our kids to be hard workers. And then we also identified that he is very technology minded and he picks up on stuff quick. Mm -hmm. And my husband could teach him marketable skills And that is exactly what's happening. And he has been really enjoying it. He seemed to pick up on it really quickly. He has an attention to detail, which in the wrong context could annoy people, but is perfect for (laughs) the type of work that I do. And so I kind of figured he'd be good at it. I sat with him before episode 35 on that Saturday and kind of walked through how how I would edit the first five minutes and then let him take it from there. And I made three additional edits. So he's That's really good. doing a, a really great job. And uh, yeah, the, the goal was to help him learn to develop a, a skill that is marketable, that's valuable. Maybe it's a little bit of a bias given the stuff that I do for a living. <laughs> but I've worked with companies that provide podcast editing services. I got an email from somebody last week offering podcast editing services and it's way more than you can make at a fast food restaurant which is uh, what he was looking at and then also i feel like this is where the economy is going it kind of comes back to deep work by cal newport you know the things that can be automated to machines will be automated to machines and it's this thinking type work which when you edit a podcast it's it it is a lot of thinking through what it's going to look like. You know, it's not as simple as just cut out every single um and make sure all these things are placed exactly in a specific place. There's an art form to it. And that's what I'm trying to teach him is that it, it needs to flow like a conversation. You can't just cut out every imperfection because mm-hmm. then it, fo- it sounds sterile. It sounds yeah. stale and it doesn't sound real. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I just think this whole mindset is going to be valuable with something we're trying to foster in all of our kids going forward is help them become lifelong learners, help them remain permanently curious. Yeah. We talked about the title for today's episode and constantly be looking for the problems and figuring out ways to solve them instead of just complaining about mm-hmm. about them. And then the other thing, you know, it, you mentioned we want our kids to 
have a good work ethic, but working hard isn't necessarily the right answer all the time either. Sometimes it is. Sometimes you do have to work hard, but if you're doing the wrong thing, working harder sometimes just makes it worse. Yeah. So it's not just blindly putting your head down and I am going to, through sheer willpower and muscle and dedication, see this thing through to the end and overcome my circumstance. But I'm going to ask the questions like, what is contributing to this? And what are the levers that I can pull to to change the situation? Definitely. Because we want to foster in our kids to be curious. And I think as adults, a lot of times that curiosity is stifled, maybe because our questions aren't answered or people just like, oh, just stop, stop asking. Because it can be exhausting when your kids ask questions <laughs> constantly. But it's vital that we foster an atmosphere that we are permanently curious. And I personally have always loved to learn. I've always loved school. I have very fond memories from childhood of school. And I never wanted to miss a day. If I was sick, I'd be like, oh, I'm going to miss out. <laughs> There's, I love to learn, but also I love people. So that was another part of it where school is an opportunity to be around a lot of people. And I absolutely loved all of that. <laughs> and that has continued for me through adulthood. I went to college and then I decided I wanted to keep going. So I got a Bachelor of Fine Arts and then I continued to get a Bachelor in Theology, which took 10 years because I had several kids in the mix. But <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to keep learning and growing. And that is exactly what we are trying to pass on to our children. Exactly. You know, when you think about the whole secondary education system here in the U.S., the, the typical advice is if you can get into college, you should go to college. And I'm not saying that that is necessarily bad advice. I don't think it should be the default advice, yeah. though. We both went to a private college and amassed a whole ton of student loan debt mm -hmm. that took us a very long time to pay off. And at the beginning, we really didn't even know what we were going to do with it. I went for business. And what I discovered getting my business degree from a good business school, I didn't go on to get my MBA because I'm not trying to climb a corporate ladder. But the, I recognized that the things that I was taught in business school, there's some basic principles, micro macroeconomics and things like that. Uh, basic marketing and sales copy and all that kind of stuff, how like all of the, the pieces fit together. I do think there's some value to that. But when it comes to the things that I do business-wise, day-to-day, there's not a whole lot that is very relevant from what I went to school for. And I remember signing up for Omar Zenholm had a course, I think it's still available, the $100 MBA. I believe it is, yeah. Because he was a professor and he was frustrated that he was teaching his students how to manage factories. And he's like, they're all going to be selling stuff online. They're not going to have any factories. Mm -hmm. I want to teach them things they can actually use. So he went and he tried to submit some curriculum changes to the college that he was at. And they went through the whole process. And it was going to be several years before it trickled down and he could wow. actually teach it. And he's like, this is stupid. I'm just going to create these videos and throw them up on the website. And I, I bought that course. I went through it and I learned more in that $100 MBA course that's applicable to me on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm than all of the money that I spent going to the private college and, and getting the, the business administration degree. And that really got me thinking, 
there are so many places that we can go now mm -hmm. to learn the skills that are going to be valuable and the skills that are valuable, that's what people want. They mm -hmm. don't really care about the titles. Sometimes you do. I mean, you want a certified doctor, you want a certified lawyer. Yeah. Yes, please. <laughs> but when it comes to business, for example, I mean, the fact that you have a business degree doesn't really matter. Do you know how to meet somebody else's problem with a solution that's valuable to them. Do you know how to frame it the right way? That's what marketing is. It's all like communication and conversation. And there's lots of places that you can learn those skills. Mm -hmm. Got a whole bookshelf behind me as we record this. Some of the most brilliant minds in the world. And for 20 bucks, you can buy a book that they've written and they've distilled down the principles for you. You got to kind of read through it yourself and mm -hmm. pick and choose the things that you're going to apply. You can't just try to apply everything from every book that you ever read. That That's not going to work. But there's tons and tons of great stuff that you don't have to pay $20,000 a year to go to school for. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that because what inspired this episode in particular was a mom, that, a mom acquaintance that I recently was with at a park. And she was considering homeschooling. And she's like, do you still homeschool? I'm like, yep, I sure do. She goes, is that hard? And I kind of stopped because I'm like, I didn't, never know how to answer that question. And she said, I'm interested, but I don't think I'm smart enough. And I'm like, okay. I just laughed and I said, well, I'm not smart enough either, but I do love learning alongside my children. And that is what has gotten us through this far with our oldest going into eighth grade. And he's been homeschooled from the start. They all have. Because when I don't know the answer, I figure it out. And a lot of mm -hmm. times it is alongside them. And it's fun and it's exciting. And there's a lot of ways where I feel like I'm reclaiming, as you mentioned, I'm reclaiming portions of my own education that was lacking. And one in particular in the last two years, being part of Classical Conversations, is their Essentials Program, which is for fourth to sixth graders. You learn grammar, parts of speech, how to write, and it's so, so good. I have learned so much from this. And I understand parts of speech and grammar and sentence structure more than I ever did in all the previous schooling. <laughs> I know how to write in an influential way more than I ever did before. And I've learned alongside my kids as they're doing their assignments. I'm proofreading it. I'm helping walk them through their keyword outlines and all these things. And I love that. Like that energizes me too find out the answer, to do the research, to figure it out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there were some positive experiences I had from going to school for business, but there were always the ones that had an application. Like you were just talking about mm -hmm. my marketing uh, professor, Dr. Chung, you know, got so excited about his marketing <laughs> class at 8 a.m. in the morning and his energy was infectious. And then we had these SWOT analysis that we had to do and we worked together as a group and we had to do these presentations and there were all these simulations, you know, and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. That part I, I really enjoyed, but the book learning, it's just like, you need to know this stuff so you can pass a test that it's hard to get motivated about yeah. that kind of stuff. And there are great teachers out there who really bring it home and they can make it applicable for the mm -hmm. students that they teach, but not everybody's going to do that. Yeah. And you can't rely on somebody to do that for you. It would be better for you to learn how to solve your own problems. That's some of the best advice that I have ever gotten as it pertains to selecting which books you want to read because there's so many 
just in the self-help productivity business area, there are so many books, so many options. Mm -hmm. You cannot read them all, right? So how do you pick the best one? Do you wait for a recommendation and somebody says, this one, this one completely changed my life? You could do that. Maybe that one will completely change your life, but maybe that person's in a different situation than you and it's not going to speak to you the same way. It's better to pick books to read to solve your own problems. When you recognize that this is something that I don't like, this is a pain point in my life, and I want to figure out how to make this go away. Because ultimately, what we are motivated by is two things, the avoidance of pain or the pursuit of pleasure. And the avoidance of pain is the big one. So if we can articulate, this thing is driving me nuts. And I want to figure out a way to fix it. Really, all of the self-help business type stuff, all it is is just systems thinking applied to either your personal or your professional life. And you think about your life in a, the framework of a system. What are the inputs? What are the pro, What is the process that is contributing to the output that I want to change? And then you just start doing some experiments. This is where the curiosity piece comes Mm -hmm. in because it's like, well, what if I changed this? Mm -hmm. You know, what if I started getting up a little bit earlier? I remember one time I was never really a very good typist and I saw a blank keyboard and it kind of blew my mind and it was like, what would using a blank keyboard really do for me? Well, I can't look at the keys, so I would have to become a touch typist. So I did an experiment and for two weeks, I would use, I, I, I tracked my words per minute on a normal keyboard and then my words per minute on this blank keyboard. And then for two weeks, I continued to use the blank keyboard. My accuracy improved and then my speed improved to the point that after only two weeks, I was faster on the blank keyboard than I was oh, wow. on the, the one that had all of the, the symbols and the legends on the, the keys. And it, like who really thinks that way? That's what we want to teach our kids is like, you know, what would happen if I did this? What's the hypothesis I want to test here? Yeah. And then you look at the results and you decide, was that good? Was it bad? If it's bad, we'll try something else. Right. And I have applied that to our homeschooling life in particular where something's not working. So we need to switch it up and figure it out and just find a new way to do it. Each year is so different, and thankfully, homeschooling doesn't require a parent with a degree or super high intelligence or to have some special certification, which is really great news because anyone can homeschool their own children because you know them so well, you could be their greatest teacher, and that doesn't mean it's for everyone. I understand that, but it does require that parents are willing to learn, to grow, and to rise to the challenge. You said, you know, when you have pain, when something's not working, well, let's problem solve. And I like to try and do that alongside my children. I'll just take my oldest, Toby, for example. He went into seventh grade. It's a whole new middle school program. I knew it would be quite challenging. In particular, he had to learn Latin. And so (laughs) I had the option to have my own Latin workbook and learn all the vocab and all the exercises along with him. And I did. And I kept up with him the first half. I started to fall behind the second half. But just the fact that I was willing to sit with him for an hour a day and do it with him and feel the pain of learning (laughs) this hard thing together, it built our relationship, first of all, which is what is most important to me. And then second of all, it helped him overcome and have victory in this part of his life that was challenging for him. 
And it was just neat to be able to recognize that this was a need and this was the solution. And it turned out great. Yeah, there's a lot to be said there for like modeling the behavior that you want to see. Yes. I think we can we can err sometimes as parents when we don't want our kids to make the same mistakes that we've made. So we try to tell them to do something, but then we don't follow that up with our actions. And so our kids kind of view us as these hypocrites who are telling them to do one thing. They don't understand why. Well, mom and dad never had to do this and they're still not doing it. So why should I do it? You know, so it's there's more that's caught than taught when it comes to this curiosity. And I think another element of this is what Angela Duckworth would call grit, you know, doing hard things. Mm -hmm. We had for a while in our house, the hard things rule where everybody had their specific hard thing. We should update that at this point, because uh, one of the things that I added to that for me was Spanish. I took Spanish in high school, but I could never roll my R's. I was embarrassed about it. I had a teacher who let me get away with slacking off. So I'd never learned more than a single sentence. Que la fuerza esté contigo. May the force be with you. (laughs) So we went to Costa Rica. Everybody's speaking Spanish. I was in a Walmart at one point trying to exchange some money and I couldn't communicate. And I was like, I never want to be in this position again. (laughs) (laughs) So we came back. We did the hard things rule. I started working on my Spanish. I'm at 650 days in a row now with Duolingo. But that's an example of like, I in the past never would have embraced learning Spanish because it's so uncomfortable for me. Doing it with Duolingo, the fact that I couldn't roll my R's wasn't that big a deal. I wasn't as embarrassed by it. There's no other person involved. And the fact that I was trying to do it, you know, Joshua was really encouraged by that. And he's He's doing it now and he's taken off with it. Yeah. And it's not always stuff that, you know, you find the right thing and, and you take off with it either. So Spanish comes naturally to him. It doesn't really come naturally to me. It's still something that's a little bit of a, a struggle. Uh, but when it comes to something like sports, you know, Joshua, he has fun when he plays sports, but he's not super athletic. And I don't think given the choice that that would be like the first thing he would want to do. Mm-hmm. He'd probably want to create, want to draw, whatever. Yeah. But I'm proud of him because he went out for middle school soccer this year. He's in sixth grade. Toby's in eighth grade. And I'm, I'm the assistant coach, which is kind of cool because I get to work with both of them. And it's, it's interesting because Toby is a natural athlete. He's the oldest kid there. So he's, he's the, the big fish, right? Joshua, not so much, (laughs) but he's still doing it. He's still going for it and he's still putting forth an honest effort. He's not just showing up there because um, mom and dad are making me, Mm -hmm. you know, he wanted to do it and I can tell it's a little bit outside of his comfort zone, but he's just embracing it and he's not Mm going to sign up for basketball and all the other sports. Right. But he's, he picked one and I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm glad that he did that. You know, you, you, you force yourself to do these things that are uncomfortable and then you learn not to really care when you don't get these superstar results all the time. Yeah. And that all plays into being curious. Like what is going to happen if I do this? Maybe I'm not super great at it, but what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Exactly. (laughs) You fail. That's not the worst thing in the world. I think the failure is not even trying. For some people, that is the worst thing in the world because going back to the fixed mindset stuff, right? If you fail, that's a judgment on you as a person and on your character. And so a lot of people just learn to avoid those situations. But you could say the same thing about creativity too. I mean, a lot of people just 
you give a little kid a box of crayons, they're just going to sit down and draw. But over time, maybe your parents, you know, didn't give you the reaction that you wanted when you drew something and you felt rejected, mm-hmm. right? So you don't draw as much. And then pretty soon you're an adult and you haven't drawn in years and you don't think you can and you don't consider yourself to be creative. That was sort of my whole whole journey with sketch notes. I mean, my first sketch note was pretty terrible. It was a stick figure and a bunch of words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you do it enough and you kind of realize what you are capable of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe it's not, you know, my sketch notes still aren't comparable to some of the crazy stuff that you'll see online. There's some people who are doing some really amazing things with sketch notes and bullet journaling and stuff like that. And I'm never going to be that. I'm okay with that. I, I did pretty good, you know, yeah. and, and I, I like where I'm at and I never would have gotten there had I not overcome that judgment of myself and my abilities. Yeah. It was funny. I was talking to Quinn, our nephew, the other day, and he's the one that was interested in sketch notes. So Mike bought him the sketch note handbook by Mike Rohde. And he, he told me, he's like, it's kind of funny when Uncle Mikey said he's not artistic. He's like, well, just look at his sketch notes. They're so good. <laughs> and it was, it was just really sweet. I'm like, yeah, I mean, he worked really hard. His first one, you should see his first one. <laughs> and I said that to him. He's like, well. I wrote that up for the sweet setup. I'll put a link in the show notes. But I documented like my whole sketch noting journey mm-hmm. and the tools that I use and kind of the approach I take. And I share my first sketch note file in there. It's pretty horrible. <laughs> hey, but you kept going. You tried it. That's true. And a lot of times when our kids ask something and we don't know, we could freeze up and be afraid to say we don't know, thinking like they're going to think less of us. They're going to lose respect for us because we should know all the answers. Well, who said we as adults or parents or whatever role should know all the answers. What kind of example is that? If we mm-hmm. pretend to know all the answers, we're not passing on anything authentic. And to say, I don't know, and then to follow it up with research and find out the answer or do it alongside them, or if they're old enough and it's an appropriate thing to research for them, ask them to research, get, help yeah. them get the res- resources because that is just playing on that curiosity and you are it's like you're just kind of putting little things in there that will just spark that and just that desire to learn and find out. Mm-hmm. And instead of being that fixed mindset where you're stuck, I don't know it and I'm never going to know it. <laughs> Everything is figure outable. <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> I think I want a t-shirt of that. (laughs) Uh, On the topic of the fixed mindset stuff too, where you pretend you have all the answers. And I don't think anybody chooses to pretend that they have all of the answers. I think it's something that we just, when someone asks us a question, we don't like not having the answer, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to fight that urge because even if we pull off the charade that we have all of the answers, think about that from the perspective of your kid Mm -hmm. who thinks mom and dad have all of the answers and I never know what to do. I guess I'm just not a very good person because I don't measure up to mom or dad. And that's probably like a tame version of the battle that's going on inside of their little brains, but they're always measuring themselves against somebody Mm -hmm. or something else. And what we really want to instill in them is you are not right now the person that you are always going to be. You are constantly going to be changing. 
you are constantly going to be growing as long as you have that right mindset, as long as you stay curious and you're willing to try new things and learn from them. You know, there's this concept of the the feedback loop where you have this idea and then you put it into practice and you get your results and then you look at those results, you kind of figure out what contributed to the good results or the bad results that you got. And then you tinker and you try something different. That's called the feedback loop. And then the time that you go and try something else again from, you know, round one to the beginning of round two, that is the length of the feedback loop. And the really successful companies and organizations have this feedback loop as well. But what they do is they make it really, really short. They'll have strategic meetings where they'll go through a product launch and they'll debrief things and they'll learn from their mistakes and they'll they'll do better next time. If you go through your life and you only have a couple of those feedback loops, you have very few opportunities to learn and to grow. So you shorten that and you try to make the feedback loop constant and then you have a bunch of opportunities. Even if you miss one, no big deal because there's another one that's that's coming And it's always like the small little changes that produce the big results over time. So it's not like, oh, this is a really big opportunity. So this is the time to implement the feedback loop. Nope. This should be a lifestyle of constantly asking yourself why and then making small adjustments as you go. Yeah. And we did do an episode called Micro Adjustments and it speaks to that and how little bitty adjustments and changes make a huge impact over time. They just compound on each other. And also what I'd like to say based on some of the things that you said was that if we always have the answer or actually pretend to always have the answer, have this uh, countenance and facade of always having the answer, our children will not learn how to problem solve. We will always problem solve from them or for them, excuse me. And then once they're supposed to be out of the house, (laughs) living a life and being responsible, how will they know how to do that? And as they get older, and it's appropriate, giving them opportunities to problem solve on their own. Like I mentioned before, if it's a problem they can figure out or research or look up and it's an appropriate topic, then Give them the tools to do that and give everything you can incrementally as they grow and mature to problem solve on their own and build that foundation enough because that is a huge part of parenting and training our children. And it's our responsibility that as they grow, that they know how to do life, that they know how to take what they see, what they're feeling, what decisions before them, know how to go through this process of making decisions and adjusting Mm -hmm. and doing that because otherwise they'll be crippled if they always have to come to us. We basically just need to teach them how to capitalize on their curiosity the right way Mm -hmm. because kids are curious. They will ask you a whole bunch of questions and you won't have all of the answers. Yeah. And one of the best things I think you can do when a kid asks a question that you don't have an answer to is just simply to affirm that's a great question. You know, I don't know. And then teach them what to do with that question. Because I think the other thing that is somewhat telling sometimes is they ask a question and if you just respond like, well, why don't you go look it up? Or the CC mom's response is, hey, that would be a good presentation. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And we've done that before. I think there's a place for that sort of thing. But 
in their mind, they're not weighing how big of a question is this. They're just asking the question, you know, and then we can kind of put a damper on that. I think if we respond in a way that makes them feel like this is a huge question. And if you really want to find out the answer, there's a ton of work that needs to go into this. Yeah. And that's a really good point because that will squelch curiosity pretty quick if that's the response all the time. Yep. Yep. So pointing them in the the right direction, which is also, I would argue, not just asking a voice assistant. (laughs) I noticed that's something our kids kind of naturally go to. It's interesting. I almost never use the electronic assistance and our kids gravitate to it. Like they use it all the time. And I, I just, it doesn't click with my brain, but it does with theirs. You know, it's, it's just a different, a, a different time, a different, you know, the way we grew up with technology is different than the way that they grew up with technology. And that's, that's fine. You know, we have to to recognize that, but we also have to teach them how to not just settle for a, an, an easy answer because that's what those voice assistants typically give you. Yeah. It's like the little facts. And one of the books that I read recently, I think you're reading it right now, Liminal Thinking. Mm-hmm. There's a line in there. It's one of the best lines I've ever read in any book. It says that the internet is a grocery store for facts. What it basically means is that you can find a fact to support any crackpot theory you can, <laughs> you can come up with. And... There are people who do that, but that doesn't mean just because you found a fact, you know, and just because you saw something in Wikipedia that that is the the truth. And so maybe that's the opinion that we hold right now because it's all the information that we have, but recognizing that there's so much more to understand and so much more mm-hmm. to learn and not being threatened about not knowing it all and just knowing that the next thing, the next question that you're going to ask is going to actually bring a little bit more perspective to the original question and your understanding of a topic that's really important in that liminal thinking book they tell the story about the blind man trying to describe the elephant mm-hmm. right that's part of that leads into this whole curiosity thing because in in the in the book they tell the story there's all these blind men who have different parts of the elephant one has an ear one has a tail one has the trunk and they're trying to describe the elephant to each other and they're all describing it from their own experience and they're arguing about no the elephant is actually this way because that's their reality but the total reality is much bigger than any one of them really has that's the whole idea behind liminal thinking is recognizing that whatever you think you know that is one small sliver of true knowledge true reality and curiosity is being willing to consider that maybe my part you know i'm coming at this biased and this isn't right. Maybe the thing that sounds wrong that somebody else is saying, that's another perspective that I have to figure out how to balance this. And that's actually more right than than mine. Mm-hmm. And that's that can be threatening, especially if you have a fixed mindset where you build your whole identity on what you know and these beliefs being tied to who you are. You know, you need to be willing to question everything. Yeah. And being permanently curious is so vital because new skills and knowledge are continually being learned or needing to be learned, really, especially with how fast-paced things are as we progress. And as in our own family life, things change and we have to adapt and we have to acquire new skills and knowledge. For example, for us entering the teenage years with our oldest son, there's some excellent resources that we have referenced at times, not necessarily read cover to cover, 
but they have really helped us in preparing for this new phase. And Mike mentioned already that Joshua's learning graphic design. Yeah. Which is really exciting. He has always been drawing since he was little, little, little. He draws all the time. He has binders and binders and binders of <laughs> things that he has drawn. Yep. And so taking that and saying, well, he, he could be a graphic designer someday, but he could start that skill now. Yeah, and he only started like a week ago. The process for this was we had an old MacBook that you didn't really use because you have an iPad that you use as your primary computer. And it was just sitting there. And I had purchased these Affinity programs, which are kind of comparable to the Adobe programs like Photoshop and Illustrator, except it's not a subscription. And they're kind of designed for Apple devices. So there's one called Affinity Designer, I believe. It's kind of the illustrator one. And that's the one I, I thought, you know, Joshua might really get into this. Mm-hmm. And coming back to the very beginning, you know, teaching Toby a marketable skill. This is teaching Joshua a marketable skill. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't go into it thinking that, well, he's obviously going to love this. It was, you might enjoy this. I yeah. bought, the company makes a big, beautiful coffee table style book that mm-hmm. teaches you how to use the application yeah. and it has links to all the project files and everything yeah. so i bought that it's full color looks great and it is a workbook that you can go through it and you can learn basic graphic design principles and i showed it to josh i'm like here if you're interested you know i set this up on this computer for mm-hmm. you so you have access to this program and then here's some of the stuff that you can do and he just took to it yeah. instantly <laughs> yeah and he was a little stuck at first so I had used all the Adobe products like Illustrator and Photoshop, and a lot of the tools and the interface are very similar. So I was able to help problem solve for him a little bit in how to add different tools to the toolbar on the right, and if he wasn't sure how to search for things alongside the workbook. And all of a sudden, you could tell he got it. And Yeah, it clicked. I mean... He already, he's done a bunch of the exercises. He has illustrated this full, I forget what kind of animal, like a jaguar, some sort of animal in in the program already. Yeah. And he just has really been loving it. And I think how you framed it in the beginning was crucial because you, you just basically said, you like to draw, you might really like this. It wasn't like, you're gonna, you could be a graphic designer someday and make a lot of money. Who, he's you're 11. a great artist and you should do this. Like that's one of the things that oh, Carol Dweck yes. says in her book, Mindset. Never say that to a kid. Like uh, tell them you're really talented at this specific thing because then they tie their identity to that talent. And as they progress with that talent, eventually they get to high school, they get to college. If you become a professional, I mean, there's much, much more competition with sports specifically. I mean, just think about the numbers of of high school kids that play basketball in in ninth to twelfth grade, and then the number that go on to college, and then eventually to the NBA. Very, very small percentage. So if you've always identified as I'm a good basketball player, well, when no one wants your basketball skills anymore, what, are you what do? does that do to you? Yeah, you have this identity crisis. Yeah, and you hear <laughs> stories of kids that. They are totally wrecked and depressed because their dream that they've had their whole life is comes crashing down because they don't make the team. They don't make it to the Olympics. They don't make yep. it to whatever it may be. But if we uh, affirm their effort and like you draw a lot and you have improved a ton. And I 
you know, that's kind of the some of the language we say with him. Like Joshua used to do a lot of just coloring pages and then it progressed to him tracing. And then now he does freehand. Like he just mm-hmm. looks at pictures and freehand copies it and it looks really, really great. But it's been a progression and we've built into that. Wow, you have improved so much. Yep, focus on the growth and then also feed the curiosity. I yep. mean, when it comes to the art stuff, you know, just asking them to try something that's just a little bit outside of their comfort zone or their ability is a really good thing. So when it came to drawing, like he feels very comfortable drawing now. So graphic design was the natural thing just outside of that realm that he's familiar with where you've never really done this sort of thing before. And now you get into the computer-based stuff and all the different tools and things and he makes something and then, oh, that's that's really good, Joshua. I like it. I like the way that you did this. I noticed you added this technique that you weren't able to do before and then kind of feeding them the next one and the next one and the next one. Like, what if you tried, you know, doing something like this? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know how to do that. Well, I bet you could figure it out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Everything is figure outable, as you exactly. said. <laughs> yep. Yes, it's so true. We talk about reading all the time. Reading is a great way to pique curiosity fiction and nonfiction. Uh, Curiosity is so natural in children. That's why they ask so many questions. They're not Mm -hmm. born knowing all this stuff. And we have to guard and cultivate curiosity in our own lives as we grow to be adults. So that if we're curious adults and want to figure stuff out and not just accept everything for face value, then we can be curious permanently. And we can pass that along to our children. And being curious is life-giving. It is exciting. That's Mm -hmm. why children have, when they're not inundated with screens constantly and inputs, and they're actually creating, they're outside, they're doing things with their body, with their hands, and exploring, they have so much life and they have so much energy. And as adults, we look at them like, how do you have so much energy at the end of the day? (laughs) It's because they're kids and they're curious. And that's why, like, when the Bible talks about childlike faith, that mm-hmm. is why. Yeah. Because it is this natural, innate curiosity that we're born with, that we want to figure stuff out. And life is exciting when we live that way. And creativity is a part of that because when you're curious, you're figuring something out, and then there's an output. It doesn't necessarily have to be a drawing, a painting, whatever it could be playing the piano. It could be writing. I mean, there's lots of different avenues that this could could take, but I do think that when you are curious and you're trying to do things a little bit better every single time, the way that you judge that is you you close that feedback loop. You have to have some sort of output in order to to look back on. And when it comes to kids and creating and being curious, things like that, why do we disconnect from that as we become adults? I think it's because when we're kids, we feel safe. And when we become older, we feel that we are going to be judged based off of the things that we create, the things that we do, the things that we say. And so we'll just avoid putting ourselves out there. But if you can find a a safe space with other like-minded people who are trying to grow, you don't have to lose that. Yeah, definitely. Surrounding ourselves with the right people, the right atmosphere is very, very important. 
And cultivating a mindset of continual curiosity will keep our minds sharp as we age. Our inspiration will remain high and we will always have motivation. Instead of mindlessly consuming video after video or (laughs) endless feeds on social media or news sites, we can answer our child's last, last question for me. Why do sharks have gills and whales don't? (laughs) So we read the book together and we found out. And it was actually really funny because it was one of those like picture science books. And Mm -hmm. you see the picture of the shark with the gills. You see the whale without the gills. And there's words. And he reads. He's a good reader. And I said, oh, because of this. And I said, did you read the page? He's like, no, I just looked at the pictures. I'm like, just so you know, if you'd have read the page, it would have answered the question too. But that's fine. I don't (laughs) mind talking to you about it. Yeah, sometimes we miss answers just because they're in a place that we don't like to look. And there's a lot of different learning styles that go into this. Maybe that's a whole nother episode. Yeah. It's learning styles because liminal thinking talks about that too, Mm -hmm. about embracing learning styles that aren't necessarily fun for you. Yeah. It's a great way to get different perspectives and help you get a more balanced understanding of reality. Yeah, that would be really fun to talk about. Because we have five children that all have very different personalities and learning styles. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. And have to adapt to each one of them. Thanks for listening to the Intentional Family Podcast. We can be found at intentionalfamily.fm. Until next time, join us in living life intentionally. Intentionally.